You're about to listen to a true story told live because this is True Stories Live. Brought to you by LJ Hope Productions, Norwich Arts Centre and me, Molly Naylor. see my audience it's really scary to see my audience anyway someone has to go first and hey it's me so um, really lovely to be here I am um, I have to give you a little bit of a warning about my true story because it does contain a couple of offensive words I'll be honest with you um, but it is my true story and I'm talking about 40 years ago um, and uh, those words were true in my life 40 years ago. And also, uh, ladies and gentlemen, and I'm directing this to the small people, which is my little girl sitting over there. Um, part of my true story, I do not condone my action in this true story. <laughs> and it would distress me if I thought you went away and turned around and said, this is how she handled it. Um, you know, don't. Because uh, it worked for me all those years ago, but um, it's probably best not to. So. Um, okay, let me start by uh, telling you, I'm going all the way back because this is where my true story starts, about my hero. And stick with me because my hero does pop up at some point. Um, when I was a little girl, and I'm not very tall now, so I'm little, little, primary school little, um, I lived in Lincolnshire in northern England with my parents and my three siblings. And my mum and dad had come over from the Punjab in northern India, the immigrants that came to this country, went around a few places and eventually settled in the lush green fields of the Punjab. I mean Lincolnshire, you see. Lincolnshire, Punjab. It was Lincolnshire a la Punjab, as we used to call it there. They kind of like the countryside. Anyway, so we settled on the outskirts of an industrial town called Scunthorpe. And I have to say that um, at that time, there were very, very very, 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 very few people that looked like us. There really weren't. So we kind of stuck out like a sore thumb all those years ago in Lincolnshire, the, the family of brown people, basically. My mum was a dressmaker, and she used to make clothes for the whole family in India. And when she came over, she wanted to make clothes for us. And one day she said to me, Nina, I'm going to knit you a dress. And she worked really hard, and she knitted me the most beautiful dress you have ever seen. It was green with speckles all over it. Red bands here, red band here, a red band here, red bobbles, and a red band here. And right in the middle of my chest, in an enormous red lettering, was N. <laughs> you can see where I'm going with this, can't you? That's N for Nina. N for Nignog. What a stupid word that is. So, and unfortunately, many of the uh, kids that were around at that time in my school chose to take the second interpretation of the letter N. So my mum had worked really hard on that dress, and she loved me to wear it. So I would put it on, and I would wear it into school, knowing I was going to get it in the neck. And all day, little jibes, not N for Nina, N for the other thing, N for the other thing. And it went on and on, and on but I couldn't, I couldn't not wear that dress, basically. And from there it started the feeling within me that I just didn't want to be different. 
I wanted to be the same as everyone else. To be honest with you, I wanted to be white. I wanted to be called Jane Smith. I wanted to have blue eyes. I didn't want to wear Punjabi clothes. I didn't want to have to learn how to speak my Punjabi language. I didn't want to eat Indian food. I just wanted to be the same as everyone else. I went to my friend Jennifer Cox's house and I was in her kitchen and her mum took something out of the fridge. And you know what? It was a chicken and mushroom pie wrapped in cellophane. I had never seen anything so exotic in my little Indian life. And they unraveled the cellophane and put it in the oven. And I was like, what have I been missing? This is incredible. And I went home and my mum had cooked a biryani and a chicken and a dal and 17 rutis and, and some. And I was like, what am I eating this crap for? Oh. I want to have chicken and mushroom pie wrapped in cellophane. I just wanted to be the same as everyone else. You know, my mum would come home from trips to the town and say she'd taken the bus and the woman sitting next to her had got up and said, I don't want to sit next to anyone coloured. My dad took us four kids out for ice cream one day in an ice cream parlour. My dad didn't see this, but the man behind the counter, jaw dropped when we walked in, looked horrified. My dad ordered ice cream and we kids heard that man say, get the smallest bowls out. My dad didn't hear it. I didn't want that to happen to me. I, I just didn't want to be different. I wanted to look like everyone else. I wanted to be the same. Now, in those days, the little box in the corner of the room, the television, I kind of knew I wanted to step into that even at that stage. We looked at that and looked for people that looked like us because we all kind of want to look like people that look for people that look like us and feel we've got role models. So we used to look into the television and we never saw anyone that looked like us. Every now and then, it would happen. We'd be upstairs and my mum would go, kids, get down quick. And we'd hurtle downstairs to catch a glimpse in the distance of a brown man. It was an extra, but a brown man in a, in a crowd scene. I think, we have arrived. And every now and then, you'd see an Indian person with his turban on in a crowd scene. Like, what am I not? And it was just mind-blowingly amazing to see someone in that little influential box, the television that looked like me. And, and we had to make do with programs like, does anyone remember Mind Your Language? That was ghastly. There was a man there who browned his face up and wore a turban and walked around saying, a thousand apologies. Now, I'm, my lot do wear turbans, we're Punjabi Sikh, and we do not say a thousand apologies, but that was all we had. That was all we had. And I thought, no one in that little box is gonna make me feel proud and strong to basically be brown. Until one day, well, I was very little, still at primary school, and I walked past that television, and I heard a voice on that television, and it was a voice of a man saying, I'm pretty, I'm beautiful, I'm the champ, I'm the greatest in the world. I float like a butterfly, I sting like a bee. The hand can't hit what the eye can't see. I'm so fast, last night I turned off the light in my hotel room, and I was in bed before the room went dark. I turned back, oh my, this is, it was a black man, a Muslim black man sitting in a studio with a white man saying, I'm as good as you, I'm better than you, I kick ass, I'm the champion of the world. I had never, ever, ever seen this on a television screen ever before. And I sat down and I fell in love with Muhammad Ali. And Muhammad Ali changed me from that moment of a little, little Indian schoolgirl this six foot three Kentucky Louisville boxing champion of the world changed my life because he sat there and at that point he wasn't boxing much. He was just doing the, the chat show circuit. 
And he was going around and sitting in studios with intellectual white guys, American guys, Michael, Michael Parkinson, you name it, and basically socking it back to them, being loud, being proud, being unapologetic to be a black man living in the world. And I, it just absolutely blew my mind. I had never seen anyone like that before be so confident in who they were and in their identity. He didn't want to go fight in Vietnam. And nobody told him that he had to go fight in Vietnam. He suffered the consequences. But what an incredible person to stick to who you are, even if who you are isn't the same as everyone else. So I started doing a few impersonations of Muhammad Ali. I'd go to primary school and I'd walk down the corridor, you know, little Indian girl with my end dress on, wrote like a butterfly, sting like a bee. And everyone thought it was a little bit quirky and weird. And then we got to um, the netball match. And this is the bit children wear. Don't behave as I did, but so... We were, it's not that bad, really. We were playing netball. I was really, I was small and springy. I was really good at netball. So I was playing netball in my primary school in the playground, throwing the ball around. And I had two friends on the sideline called Karen and Gail. On, on every other day, Karen and Gail, I would have counted them as my best friends. On this particular day, which is what happened at primary school, they decided that they wouldn't be my best friends. And they walked onto the netball pitch in the middle of the game. And basically, and here comes another naughty word, Gail just said to me, you Paki. Now, I'm not Pakistani, I'm Indian, actually. But at that precise moment, that didn't really matter to a Gail. We were all kind of Pakis. And so she said that to me. And normally, what I would have done, because I heard that word a hundred times, what I would have done was I would have turned away, absorbed it, and kind of thought, I don't want to be that. I want to be the same as everyone else. I don't want to be different. I don't want to be different. I was channeling Muhammad Ali, ladies and gentlemen, at that point. So... I said to Gail, why don't you pick on someone your own side? She was twice the size as me. And uh, Gail thought, oh, my God, she's answered me, squatted down. Then I took my left hook, a la Muhammad Ali, and I swung it round. This is not good, children. I swung it round. Gail went flying on the floor. Karen's mouth was... And by this time, of course, the netball match had, in fact, stopped. Um, <laughs> everybody was staring at me. And then something incredible happened. They all came running up and they said to the two bullies, don't you dare talk to her like that. How dare you do that? You leave her alone. I mean, it, it was amazing. That one moment I thought, gosh, I did something so out of character and so rock and roll. Not really, children. Um, and, <laughs> and, and, and everybody's with me. I'm not alone. You know, they all feel the same as me. I shouldn't. It, it should be Envenina. Full stop. They all feel the same way. I mean, needless to say, every single person on that netball pitch um, got detention. But you know what? That detention was good. I felt 10 feet tall. I didn't feel alone. I felt really proud. And from that moment, I used to do Muhammad Ali impersonations. Float like butterfly, sting like a bee. You know, the hand can't hit what the eyes can't see. Um, in a really rubbish accent, actually. But that's what I was known for. She goes, oh, here she comes. Here she comes with her accent. Here she comes doing her <clears throat> Muhammad Ali. And, and, and it just changed everything. And I channeled him the whole time. I think, what would he do? He wouldn't stand for this. Bullies, I didn't stand for any of it. I mean, there were a few more scuffles in the sandpit that happened, I have to tell you. But eventually, you know, it kind of stopped. And, it, and it, it just stopped. And one day, it just was Enfanina. And that was it. And something amazing had happened, but it had happened to me. Because I saw that black man in what then was a, a white world, and I'm not equating the struggles of black Americans in any way with, you know, little Punjabi family in, in Lincolnshire. But I had someone on a box that I could look to and believe in and look at him and think, 
he got as far as he wanted to get when everyone said he couldn't do it. Why can't I do it? My mum and dad had always said to us, listen, kids, it's hard. You need to work twice as hard as everyone else. You need to study twice as hard. That's just the way the world is. And we were brought up in that kind of environment just to do it. And of course, we were all swatty little Indian kids. But I kind of felt I, c I don't need to just confine myself to doing well in my exams. Actually, if I want to be, if I want to go and be on the television, I blinking well can. And I've faced a number of obstacles in my career because I've been doing this a long time. It has been tough. And when I look back at some of the things that have happened, it's not been very good. But I've been channeling Muhammad Ali, you know, that whole time. And I've been feeling, I feel really strong every time I think about him. And I think, I'm not alone. And he did it, so I'm going to do it. And he believed in himself, so I'm going to believe in myself. And that has carried my, me through my entire life, my superhero, Muhammad Ali. And, you know, I, was, I felt strong enough to be able to tell my mother for the first time last year about that letter N on the dress. She had no idea. I didn't want to hurt her feelings. And she kind of looked at me, and she figured that I'd done all right in my life and that all of that thing that had happened to me with the letter N and the insulting that I'd gone through it and I'd got on top of it you know and I'd actually done quite well so she was quite cool she's all right these things happened to us but you 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 went ahead and you traveled ahead I mean my mum and dad were amazing but Muhammad Ali was absolutely incredible for me in my entire life he will always be my hero even though we lost him two years ago and you know I never did learn to float like a butterfly but I can still sting like a bee thank you very much <laughs>